This podcast may contain explicit language and themes, so listener discretion is advised. Ill-advised, misinformed, our half-baked opinions will be performed. Are you ready? Is the mic on? Welcome to A Hill to Die On. You're listening to A Hill to Die On, a podcast hosted by two stubborn as shit Aussies who give hot takes on a different topic, go away to dig deeper, and then reconvene to share whether or not their hot take hill was worth dying on. We're your hosts, music astrologists Josie Spicer and Cara Brooks. This episode, we're asking the question, can the McDonald triad predict violent offending? Josie, do you think that it can? My hill is no. I will justify it in a second, but I first would like to ask your hill. Also no. Also no. Okay. I'd be interested to hear because you... I love joking about it. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's like you consume quite a lot of like true crime and obviously I study criminology. So I think we'll be coming at it from two different angles, but I wouldn't be surprised if our sort of opinions converge a bit. So before I kind of explain, like just for listeners who don't know what the mcdonald triad is just from the words mcdonald triad because i think in the discord they were like nuggets of big mac and fries or something (laughs) yes yes uh one of our patrons eric made a beautiful meme uh that i will post again upon release (laughs) of this episode it's beautiful i do believe in that mcdonald triad (laughs) so mcdonald triad is basically that thing where it's like if a person has like two or more of the following things, then they're probably going to be committing serial violent offending in future. And that is cruelty to animals, arson, and persistent bedwetting past the age of five. So I would be quite surprised if anyone listening to this hasn't maybe like come across this concept, um, even in sort of like pop culture, Mm -hmm. like, oh, they had a history of like, hurting animals and setting fires clearly that person is going to be some sort of offender i guess just uh, just off the top of my head my no is that with so many forms of predicting like violent offending for so long and even still it's like you see persistent bedwetting past the age of five that could be attributed to anything. Like some people think that that might be associated with abuse and, Mm. or, you know, it actually might be stress or developmental delays. Like there are all these other possibilities that, you know, like the bedwetting itself might have so many different underlying reasons that to use the bedwetting as like a reason to predict violent offending is kind of weird also i guess my main point to to not sort of get in the weeds of it right now my main point is like this sort of mcdonald triad has been around since like the 60s and that was like a very um that was very much early on in sort of like studying serial killers and serial violent offenders you know we have all of this crime data being reported and disseminated more widely than before And so people are trying to, you know, do stuff with this data, Mm -hmm. with these data. And I think somehow, I don't know why, but I feel like the McDonald triad is now treated like a bit of a truism. Like, I don't, and that's why I wanted to do this, because I I don't know. My vote is no, because, like, (laughs) predictors of crime, it's, it's a very weird topic anyway. 
But I feel like the McDonald triad is like this persistent one that I wouldn't be surprised if we look at it further and it's like, oh no, that's totally being debunked by now. Yeah, I mean, like, anything is a predictor of crime. It's like, this isn't fucking, what's that movie, Minority Report? Or something? Like, like, <laughs> oh my god. It just the concept of predicting crime in itself seems a bit strange. So that that is actually one of my, like, the issues I have with predicting violent offending anyway, is like, so first of all, we need to think about who's being labelled. Like, so say if you have a kid, and they're like, okay, they're pissing the bed, they're setting fires, they're being cruel to animals let's treat this person like they're already some sort of problem case and that they're inherently violent and i just i wonder what that does to Mm. a kid Mm. like what sort of labels do they take on and then sort of act upon internalize and yeah 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 exactly and then like the other thing i guess is like data about serial killing so like people might often hear about the mcdonald triad in relation to serial killers and serial rapists and like we need to think of what data is being captured. And, you know, I'm making some broad statements here, but something to ask ourselves whenever we see sort of like crime data is like what crimes are being reported and who is being convicted? Does that have any relationship to class? Like are poorer people being caught more? Are poorer people being convicted more? Mm. What are the definitions of the time and of the jurisdiction? So like, you know, in the 60s and even until today, the definition of what a serial killer is, is super contentious. For instance, like Eileen Wernos, who is quote unquote, you know, the first female serial killer, by today's definition, she was in no way the world's first female serial killer, but just using the definitions by the FBI at the time of her arrest, she was. Does that kind of make Mm -hmm. sense? So like the longevity of this like, theory or like framework of how to predict crime i just have a lot of questions about it especially you know as sort of criminological studies have gone along and and stuff but yeah mm-hmm. what about you cara what why is your hill no okay so i don't want to out anyone close to me in saying this but there is a relative actually a couple relatives of mine that i could say that uh fulfill because i i believe with the triangle it's two or more yes points of it and they definitely fulfill that when i was when i first heard about the triangle i was probably 12 or 13 when i first heard about it i thought that it was you had to fulfill three of the points right and so mm-hmm. i was thinking like oh fuck this relative is just like one cat strangle away from being a serial killer yeah, since obviously learned that it, it is just two of the three, that person, actually none of those people are currently violent offenders that I know of. I guess my biggest issue with it is that it's definitely indicative that something is up, right? Like if you, yes. if, if you're doing these things, whether it's like, you know, animal abuse and arson and you're, you know, there's like some level of sociopathy. finally you have a word (laughs) sociopathy that you know is going on or some level of like antisocial personality disorder or whatever that's not even necessarily that you're going to do criminal acts like you need to have a level of neglect or abuse within that usually to facilitate violent behavior on top of that like there's a lot of people that have personality disorders or that are psychopaths sociopaths etc that become like ceos or 
bomb squad testers mm. or fighter pilots. Like it's not necessarily, you know, it's like, it can be just like positive risk versus not that CEOs are necessarily positive, but <laughs> <laughs> I see what you mean. But like, yeah. as in the, it's, to the broader community, that is, yeah, it's, it's not dangerous in the same kind of way. Yeah. yeah. So to me, it's more indicative that there's a level of neglect or abuse or something happening to that child. And that is, you know, more linked to violent behavior or violent outcomes later on than the triangle itself. So, you know, should we more be looking at like, well, okay, maybe just a background of neglect and abuse makes people more prone to becoming violent offenders than checking these really simple boxes, which happen to be correlated to people that are neglected and abused. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Yes. So that is essentially like what I was trying to say. It's like, as you said, also these people might also like the way that they express sort of their inner turmoil or whatever maybe through those things right like it's mm-hmm. sort of like a maybe like a symptom if that makes sense rather than a yeah a cause yeah the only thing I will push back on this is such a tricky thing I think it's actually consistent with what you're saying too okay so I can only speak confidently when it comes to female serial killers because I did an assignment on that one time and the research does say that Compared to the overall general population, female serial killers, like, there's a higher proportion of people with, like, trauma backgrounds. But with that, it's interesting because it's, like, there is a higher rate of people with trauma backgrounds who are serial killers. But you can't just say that, like, if you're abused, you're more likely to be a serial killer. It's, like that's a good avenue to then investigate okay so then these people were abused and then what was their sort of like life trajectory from that and like where were the mediating factors that like you know directed them down a different path I mean this is just going the nature versus nurture debate so it's like you need sort of the perfect storm of the the biological factors that are inherited that would make you you know a sociopath or a psychopath Mm -hmm. like and unable to empathize and then you need the perfect storm of you know throwing neglect abuse various sort of other you know Mm -hmm. significant negative life experiences on top of that in order to put you on that bad trajectory yeah whereas just having abuse doesn't make you you know, you, you could have abuse, but you could still be a very empathetic, caring person. You could, yeah, you know, God, your yeah. abuse might make you more empathetic to know never to do that or inflict that on other mm-hmm. people because you know how horrible it is. You know, like it's it's not exactly. necessarily, yeah, meaning that you are abused, therefore you go on to abuse others, even though that is a choice some people make or that are coping and yeah. way of coping some people have. But I mean, I've also heard that the McDonald triad can be more about other than just violent offending, it can be linked more to poor coping skills Mm. and ways of dealing with problems in life, which, you know, I mean, even just unpacking each sort of factor, like each point of the triangle, I mean, bedwetting, like you said, could also be like a multitude of reasons that people do it, including like health problems or allergies, or there's all sorts of weird shit that I've heard that people do it. But then with animal abuse to me is like fucked because I love animals I find that really difficult to sort of deal with but at the same time there's a lot of children like particularly very young children that just don't quite understand that yet like they don't understand that animals are you know independent beings with feelings and that they can hurt them and that's bad like there's sort of a level of 
not connecting that yet. So I think it depends at what level of their development they're doing that, reasons why they're yeah, doing yeah. that. If it's like punishment or curiosity, you know, like there's a power thing or it's just like what happens if this what's death you know like there's different sort of i accidentally killed chicken by hugging it when i was like <laughs> two like a t- yeah two oh. is like yeah oh. <laughs> that's not oh. cruelty that's like killing literally killing it with kindness like <laughs> i go don't remember it yeah but then like apparently it was like yeah, I don't I don't know much about it. I haven't asked because it's fucking mortifying. <laughs> Obviously, I have not hurt an animal since. I can't even watch, like, videos of, like, rescue dogs had, like, their conditions beforehand. Oh, yeah. Because I just yeah. get so sad. The other one was, like, arson. And that in itself is also just, like, curiosity, right? Like, how many kids don't love fire, honestly? Like, fire is fascinating, even as an adult, like... <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, you know, I sit in front of, like, a fucking bonfire today and I can't look away from it. It's so beautiful and interesting. And the way that different, like, materials, you know, catch fire. It's it's cool. Like, fire is an amazing chemical reaction, right? Like, everyone is, like, there's some level, no matter what, where it's fascinating and it's, like, scary. and And I think it's easier for it to become out of control when you're... That's why they tell children not to play with matches and not to play with fire because it's, you know, it's a lot harder to manage and to control when you're a child and so arson is more likely like it could not even be necessarily intentional like you may have intended to set the fire to see what would happen but you didn't anticipate the result whereas I think that's a big leap to think that or to correlate what a child does with arson you know because arson carries a pretty big connotation so yeah I think that the triangle itself is problematic in that way because it's sort of implying Mm. that it's all intentional and it's all from a place of cruelty you know, versus yeah, like, or like malice or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, and like I'd be interested in something I'm I, I'm making note of, and I'm gonna make sure I do is read the original paper. So it was published in 1963 by J. M. McDonald. He's like the mind hunter guy, right? Oh shit! Is, is it? He? I don't. Know. I thought. Oh wait, Fuck. maybe not. No, I thought that like I don't something know. to do with the triad was from the same dudes that did the FBI profiling for the Mind Hunter show. It could be. I, I've been like deliberately like resisting googling it. I feel like, like their only, names like, aren't like, McDonald though, so it's probably not. But maybe it's connected in some way. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't be surprised if they like work together because like that's just how a lot of yeah. this sort of pans out. But yeah, like so, I'm gonna read that and see how the triad was intended to be read because something that is so weird is like, so I I don't know if you've heard of the term nothing works. No. Like when it comes to sort of punishment. So there's like the nothing works sort of, I don't know if it's doctrine or whatever, but from my understanding, sort of looking at the results of incarcerating people and rehabilitation or whatever, you know, I, I think at some point, like, yeah, this, this criminologist saw that all these people who had been in prison and then released kept going back to prison and nothing worked. Like nothing worked to stop them from offending. And so I'm pretty sure that what this person was saying was, Hey, punishment is not working. Let's try a different tactic. But people heard the term nothing works. And that was when sort of like, life sentences popped off in the u.s specifically Mm. so like literally locking people up for the rest of their lives because quote nothing works 
And so I'd be interested to see if like the McDonald triad is like, hey, use it in these very specific instances in this way. And if it's been then sort of like passed along as like this very simplistic tool, like, I don't know. I'm just, that's just a question I'm raising. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, I would wonder how many, because like you said, with crime stats, like how much, you know, it's basing it on people that are already within certain classes who have been caught, who have been convicted. Mm -hmm. Like you're not interviewing the broader population and seeing how many people meet the criteria of it that have not gone on to be violent offenders. Cause it's a really difficult thing to quantify. Uh So I mean, you know, and especially like if you said violent offenders struggled to spell when they were four, or something like who didn't you know what I mean like yeah. there's things where I mean yeah. granted like I don't meet any of the criteria for that triangle so I feel you know bad saying like well everyone could be this but at the same time like there's so many people that are those things or that were those things that grew out of it and had so many you know varied reasons for why they were that way yeah and I mean I do like to make jokes about it especially because of my relatives that <laughs> yeah, yeah. The and sometimes from my understanding sometimes they kind of uh you know yeah, you sort of side eye and be like hmm. yeah i mean they've, they've done questionable things but also like i think knowing what i know now from the, the more you find out as you age as well i guess about histories and family histories and stuff is that they were all abused in various ways so oh yeah you know it's like that's the reason for it and not that not to say that they were just like that and they were pre-programmed or predestined in some way Mm -hmm. to be these violent offenders. It's like, no, they actually were, you know, in various ways neglected or abused, but are good people or try to be good people. And, you know, they Mm -hmm. are not violent offenders now. And yeah, try to, try to not do, I mean, they don't do any of those things anymore. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also have questions about the way we frame youth So, like, you know, in terms of, like, you know, again, cruelty to animals is something that I think is a bit like, like, it doesn't take much to sort of realize that that's a bad thing to do. But say arson, like, kids get up to stupid shit. Oh, yeah. Like, and we sort of understand more about how brains develop and stuff like that. So it's like, I wonder if that is still a sticking point. Also, I guess I just want to say as well, like, kind of peeling back before you mentioned coping mechanisms and I vaguely remember while researching for my assignment for context for listeners it was an assignment on Eileen Wernos and we had to use one childhood experience research that and see if it had any sort of impact on her later offending and in one of these studies it was sort of arguing that so many people are abused, like so many, at least one in four women that we could predict. Yet one in four women aren't serial killers, right? Mm. So what else is going on there? And it was talking about how like it potentially was just the way that like coping mechanisms worked, right? Like how do people deal with high stress situations in their life? How does their trauma impact them? And, you know, Eileen Wernos had so much trauma in her life like indescribable amounts of trauma and that's not an excuse but it may be part of an explanation of the perfect Mm. storm well it also goes into like men versus women and why more men are serial killers than than women is like women are taught constantly to modify their behavior 
Mm-hmm. to stop violence against them. You know, it's like, we're constantly taught that, like, you know, if if you don't want a violent act committed against you, then you have to do A, B, C. Like, you are constantly policing yourself because society is policing you into not being offended against. Whereas for men, it's just like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You know, but they don't really have to control their behavior in the same way. And there's not an expectation for them to control their behavior. Like, boys will be boys, you know. And so I think there's a whole level of that. I mean, this is a whole different yeah. discussion, but there's a whole level no, of that that affects it. that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're on to something there because, like, boys will be boys, which makes women serial killers that much more monstrous in the eyes of the public because they're going against what is inherently like seen as inherently like feminine which is oh yeah like there's no precedent for for that right like there's not even yeah girls will be girls would mean something completely different i'm sure yeah that's like girls do be shopping like that's literally like the comparison but yeah no i i hadn't thought about it too much because i I figured it would all come out in conversation but yeah I, i think there are like questions of like coping and class like i i can't help but wonder if like class has something to do with it too because like if you are given more life opportunities in life like even if you are experiencing all sorts of like turmoil then it's like the chances of you going down a fucking horrible monstrous path might be narrowed Mm. whereas like if you don't have many life chances to begin with and all yeah. this shit is happening. And I'm, and this is not to say that poor people commit crime. I, I want to also tie it in with if you have resources to also maybe get away with Yeah, I was going to say, poor I'm people thinking, get caught more, I'm sure. Yeah, well, fucking, I'm thinking of, like, old mate Robert, what's his name, Robert? Uh, Robert Durst? The name sounds familiar, but I feel like it just sounds familiar because of Fred Durst. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me have a quick look, hang on. Oh, I've seen his photo before. I feel like I've seen... I've seen so many fucking true crimes. I feel like I've seen a, a documentary on him, but not that specific one. Right. Well, yeah, like he's killed multiple people over the course of his life, but because of, you know, he he's the eldest son of New York City real estate agent Seymour Durst and was mm-hmm. like a fucking multimillionaire or whatever. And it seems like he probably got away with murder of his longtime friend, his first wife. He managed to get off of murder it ended up being like self-defense or something and like he dismembered people and everything like he (laughs) but he kept getting off and so like i just have questions around like yeah like crime data is sort of questionable anyway like because it only captures certain people well it's also like the and yeah like that's a big point but aside from that even with saying you know i think it's easy to conflate abuse with neglect and think of it as a certain type of neglect like you know they're not given food or they're not given. it's like that can be you know rich people can especially be prone to neglect in a different way like emotional neglect because their parents are so busy that they don't give a fuck and they don't bother actually teaching their children empathy or raising them correctly in that sense and so i think there's also a propensity for for people who are you know from privileged background to also 
be neglected in, in a different way. And so they can still go down the exact same path. But like you said, they're more likely to get away with it because they have more resources. They have more ways they can express it, like more opportunity. I mean, I'm sure that's a fuck ton of the reason that there's people that are CEOs as well. You know, it's like they get to express it. They get to control and manipulate and have power over people without having to kill them or be violent against them. They can be violent in like an indirect way and passive aggressive and like... Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think you articulated it maybe a bit better than I did was like, yeah, they have these opportunities to be able to like cope in a different way than other people are. And and to be clear to listeners, like this is just us. I know you you probably know the format of this podcast by now, but this is us (laughs) shooting the shit, speculating, thinking about it. I'm very open about the fact that (laughs) my cousin was murdered it's not like oh these these poor serial killers well actually it's worth looking at potential you know potential factors that may contribute to someone you know enacting violent offenses because if you can look after if, if you can not only like help say these people who are experiencing you know whatever the fuck they're experiencing but like you know the worst <laughs> the worst outcome is possibly multiple people being you know raped or murdered like that that's that's the stakes yeah would you like to cut in well i was gonna say like it's you know when you look at this and you look at people's backgrounds as to what might have contributed to them becoming violent offenders it's sort of like it's anything that happens like anything that has gone on in their childhood it's an explanation towards it but it's not a fucking excuse it's never an excuse Mm -hmm. because there's so many people that go through far worse that never go on to hurt others it's also you can feel sorry for the child version of them, yes. but never for the adult because once you're an adult, you you don't you don't get choices like that as a kid. Like you're just sort of dealt the hands you're dealt, but how you deal with what you're dealt, or like how you you know the cards that you play later on, that's your choice. So mm-hmm. you know you can you can grab and like I mean you don't always have the opportunity to grab a new fucking hand, but you can make do with what you have, and you mm-hmm. don't have to hurt other people. Um, And so I think when they start making choices that is like, well, now I'm going to inflict this or I'm going to do this and it's harmful to others. That's Mm -hmm. where any empathy for that person just dies. Like, okay, now you started making choices that were very wrong and that were clearly like, you know, harmful. And that was a choice. Whereas when you're a child, I can absolutely feel like I can look at histories of serial killers and what they went through in their childhood and be like, that's fucking horrific. No one should have to experience Mm -hmm. that. Like, I'm so sorry that they had to experience that as a child, but anything as an adult is like, okay, I can see that this clearly contributed to why they turned out the way they did, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't excuse their behavior. It doesn't justify it in any fucking way. So, so something that I think about is, I'm sorry if this comes across as a bit grim, but, you know, I've been listening to this podcast called Black Box Down, which is, like, about air crashes, like, airplane crashes mm. and the investigations. And no matter what, with every airplane crash, there's always an investigation and there's always something to learn from it. And whatever is learned is usually, like, enacted and it makes flying safer. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, my recommendations... I mean, in all of my assessment pieces around justice, it always comes back to there needs to be better support networks and the earlier the better in a person's lifetime. So, you know, the fact that we can see that there is a possibility, like not only for individuals experiencing pain in their own lives, but if there is a chance 
that you know the worst possible outcome is serial killing or serial raping or some other form of serial violent offending then i feel like it is the responsibility of the state and the government to put in support networks that try and mitigate future harm that's things like for starters lifting people out of poverty making sure no one's homeless having mental health care having general health care not throwing people in prison like there are so many things that you know i'm not saying there's never going to be a serial killer again but i feel like things aren't being learned from each tragedy even just like more funding towards like child protection and you know caseworkers for that because I know like one of my friends recently left a job in child protection to do something else but I know their caseloads are fucking ridiculous like there's no way you can keep track of that many people in a thorough enough way for it to be beneficial you know Mm -hmm. or like you know as beneficial as it should be as that service should be and as I think most people who work in that profession want it to be oh Um, yeah like you end up having to do so much overtime and often unpaid if you want to do a good job, you know, and it's like, that's just not fair. It's not fair on the workers. It's not fair on the children. It's not fair on the people that will, you know, possibly be outcomes of violent acts directed by them later on. Like if they don't get help. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's, there's definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's always systemic though, right? Like all these problems mm-hmm. are like, <laughs> it's such a bigger thing than like, well, you know, just make them stop wetting the bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's actually a fucking, that's an interesting point is like, you know, we still look at, you know, at least I believe some people still look at the McDonald triad and, and stuff and they sort of individualize serial killing and that's not to absolve anyone of, of their actions. But yeah, I think you're right. It's like, okay, well, what fucking wider patterns are happening here? Mm-hmm. And actually, on the point of that triangle, I would say bedwetting would maybe be the most influential and it's not like the act in itself. It's the response to it. Um, because I think there's so much humiliation involved in that, um, especially the older children get that then if they're feeling that level of shame and humiliation and embarrassment, and then often if they're from an abusive environment, if they're continuing to do it, that's just going to incite further abuse and it's going to become a really vicious cycle and it's further shame and further humiliation. And that's just a storm in itself. Mm. And whether or not that's going to be violent offending, it could just be, you know, humiliating other people or, you know, becoming really aggressive. Being a dickhead. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like being an asshole. But yeah, it's still that in itself to me is probably one of the bigger factors of like if you're looking at that because it's it's even though it can be a complete accident you could have completely loving parents that are like oh you know just don't worry about it you'll grow out of it or whatever but it's still there's a a huge level of shame to it yeah yeah that's interesting and it's sort of like I guess I see the usefulness in like you know if you come across a kid I don't know why okay I don't know why you have to tick two or more but, like, I feel like any of those points are reason enough to, like, be like, hey, kiddo, what's going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I think in that way it's valid. But, yeah, I, I think it's possibly being used as, like, well, you tick these boxes. Let's, like, fucking take you to remote sort of, like, boarding school where you're statistically <laughs> more likely to be abused anyway. And, like, right. you know. But that's know. the thing. I don't think they even act on the triangle in that way. Yeah. You know what I, I mean, like, I yeah, think I it's like. Know, actually. Yeah, it's sort of just like, oh, you're doing these things. Cool. And how many parents actually know what their kids are getting up to? 
Like, I mean, you would know about bed wetting unless they're really fucking good at washing their own sheets. But yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, other than that, like, how many parents actually are aware of like whether mm-hmm. or not their children are setting secret fires? Because it's often stuff that they do in, in private. Like, you find out later. Like, a serial killer will say, "Well, I did this as a child," or you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how are we going to tackle this? I obviously we can do whatever we want, but I'm thinking. Like, I might look at the history of it. Obviously, you do whatever you you want. But, like, I, I'm curious to look at if and how it's evolved over the years and if anyone, like, uses it as a tool. I'd be interested to see statistics of, like, yeah, how, you know, because that's, right, like, if it is a predictor, how accurate a predictor, like, what <laughs> yeah. are we talking here? Yeah, like, how many yeah. people are violent offenders that are none of those things or are all mm-hmm. of those things and live functional lives, which is a lot harder to gauge because you don't mm-hmm. really have a who's going to admit it right like <laughs> yeah that's right like you, you like oh yes i did i did torture animals as a child but don't worry yeah, yeah. like <laughs> but like now i'm a vet and you're like oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> fuck <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm excited to do this one because it's like like i try to avoid talking about predicting stuff in my degree like i've i like that was the task for that eileen Wernos one but like Mm-hmm. I really feel uncomfortable by the idea of predicting violence. Yeah. So this is going to be challenging for me, but I'm <laughs> interested to find out. I'm excited because it's kind of like a marriage of our interests. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It really is. <laughs> like yeah. criminology and like true crime is all fucking about McDonald triad. As yeah, well, so. yeah, yeah. And that's the thing too. Like there's probably a whole bunch of shit written about like media, like pop culture and, and the McDonald triad. Because, you know, I, I don't know. But my spidey senses, like, tell me that it's been sort of warped like a game of telephone in how useful it is. I don't know. That, that's just oh, my yeah. we, suspicion. We probably should have included it in the personality test episode. <laughs> it's the simplest oh, personality yeah. test you'll ever take. It's just three questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you piss the bit? Yeah. Do you, do you stab puppies? And do you start violence? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for chatting with me, and I look forward to hearing what you find. Cool. Okay, Kara, it's been a few months since we last spoke about the McDonald Triad. What have you found about the McDonald Triad? Can it predict violent offending or nah? I'm still going to say nah. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a lot of, like, the same sort of stuff we spoke about last time. Like, we weren't too far off the mark. Interestingly enough, a lot of the stuff I found seemed to point to two different schools of thought and and essentially still saying no, but in different ways, right? So like basically some of the resources would say that, and this is something we said last time as well, was that it wasn't necessarily a predictor of violent behavior, but it was more about like poor coping mechanisms and dysfunctional home environments more than it was indicative of, yeah, yeah. of what it will lead to. The other school of thought was that it's too limited in being a predictor because it's also like yes it is a b c but it's also d e f g h i j you know like it's all these other things as well that contribute to it Mm -hmm. so yeah it, it didn't i'll read you some of the stuff i found anyway and also something else that i found in trying to figure this out was that there seems to be a really sort of broad or mixed understanding of what it's actually predicting because i haven't read the original paper i tried to find it i couldn't find it it seems like it was supposed to be violent offending, 
but a lot of people have just sort of blanketed it as serial killing, which is a very different thing okay. to just violent offending. Yeah, well, I read the original paper, so that will be a good opportunity. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, I can jump off that. Cool. So uh, just to, like, introduce this quickly, like, one of the papers that I found, it was called The Traits and the Thrill of Serial Killers by someone, Simon. Basically, they introduced, like, what serial killing is. And I know that that's not necessarily the same thing as serial violent offending. Like, it's a very specific type of serial violent offending. But for the purpose of this, at least they were, you know, using the McDonald triad within this sort of realm. So it says a serial killer is a person who murders three or more people over a period of more than 30 days with a, quote, cooling off period after each murder and whose motivation for killing is largely based on psychological gratification. Which... Yeah, okay, fair. Right. So it also went on to say how, like, a sexual element is often involved in the killings. And then basically said, so I'll quote this directly, McDonald has set up a triad by which he characterized the childhood of serial killers as potential psychopaths. He highlighted bedwetting arson and torturing of animals as appalling phenomena. This was one of those articles that went on to say how it's also a lot of other things. And so instead of looking at it as just a McDonald triad, so they were basically took the triad and then took another series of contributing factors and then sort of cross-referenced them. So it's like if you have this, but then you also had like childhood abuse and you also had this and it was called like, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it was like a, a chai square or chi square, like C-H-I. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was like yeah, taking a bunch of different things. So just to, like, give, I guess, the qualities, I guess, that they were looking for, it was saying, like, serial killers are in two different types. And this is also so fucking broad. Like, it was frustrating. But it was basically I already saying, have so much to say once yeah. you're done. Yeah, yeah. And it was such, it was just stereotypes, basically. It was, like, taking the stereotype of, like, the Ted Bundy slash Ed Kemper sort of type of persona is intelligent or at least thinks they're really intelligent and is methodical and, you know, does everything a particular way and evades capture and rah, rah, rah. And then you have the chaotic, low IQ, blah, blah, you know, like, messy and that to me is like, I guess, hillside stranglers or the only reason they didn't get caught is because of the incompetency of the police force rather than any sort of <laughs> intelligent covering up right. on their end. Clever. Yeah. yeah. But even that in itself is like so classist, so white male centric as well. <laughs> like when was this written? Let's say it was disturbingly recent. 2015. Is this a peer reviewed? Article? Yeah, 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 yeah. This was from like ProQuest. Are you fucking um, kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm. This is the most unscientific piece of shit garbage. What the fuck? Yeah, but this is the kind of thing that this paper has spawned is like thinking that you can classify people. I mean, this all just ties back into fucking astrology, into personality tests, into like using indicators to predict <laughs> behavior is just like. You can't. Like, people will surprise you. People will always fucking surprise you. Like, that's kind of the nature of humanity, right? Like, <laughs> and I get, like, you have things in common. I have things in common with them. Yeah. And I'm still kind of astounded that, you know, like, they were saying that serial killing often has a sexual element. I, I don't think that's true. I, yeah. I don't think that's true at all. Like, some do. Oh. Absolutely. So... If you, if you want to get real mad, I can read you. This is like what yes. I actually copied out. I can read you the classifications or, or like the traits that they think that serial oh killers God. have. So it says, 
Serial killers can be clustered in diverse groups, one of which is the organized grouping, whose characteristic features are the following. Single white males are the perpetrators. Employment difficulties. Unstable family history. Often abandoned by their fathers and raised by their mothers. Criminal, psychiatric, and alcoholic histories. Abuse histories. High rates of suicide attempts. Interested in voyeurism, fetishism, and sadomasochistic pornography. Have a history of inappropriate Fuck. bedwetting. As opposed to appropriate bedwetting. Like, what is the... <laughs> Fascinated with fires. <laughs> yes, this is a good amount of bedwetting. <laughs> <laughs> Just the right amount. Goldilocks will love yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> Measure it by milliliters of piss per mattress. Like, what the... How are you... What? Oh, fuck. Weigh the mattress um, at the beginning of the year? What the fuck is your problem, <laughs> dude? I, yeah. And also, how are they getting this information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It continues. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> Sadistic activity slash torturing small animals. Above mm-hmm. average intelligence. Like, that's a fucking random one to just throw in there. Methodological. Lure victims, sometimes by pretext, inspire confidence, adapt well. That's all on one line, by the way. Maintain control over the crime scene. Follow their crimes in the media. Usually socially adequate, sometimes having a spouse and children. Sometimes. Cool, I'm glad we're using that as a qualifier. Thoroughly elaborated crime. Dispose of the incriminating evidence. When being captured, the acquaintances characterize them as being peaceful. Expect not to be caught, mislead the authorities, and incriminate someone else, in brackets, fake suicide note. When the fuck has that happened so many times that it's worth including here, P.S.? Like, what the fuck? Do not always act in the heat of the moment. I'm just kind of, like, amazed. So, like, did they have a table drawn up? Did they have numbers for, like, how many people had this? Or are they just making generalizations? Like, what's their... No, just sweeping, sweeping generalizations. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's like do that. Just, how's this peer reviewed it's like they just threw stuff out there and was like this is fine this sounds right you know like there's no quantifiable sort of figures there's no yeah I didn't even try <laughs> yeah like i got too mad to like keep keep reading basically but it, it just sort of kept going they're even giving themselves outs in what they're saying so like for example do not always act in the heat of the moment. Who the fuck does? Like, <laughs> no one always acts in the heat of the moment. And like, that it describes literally every person on the planet. And I know that they're probably meaning like their crimes are not committed in, in necessarily in the heat of the moment. But the way it's worded is so poor. But a lot of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there are premeditated and, and not premeditated in varying degrees of that. Like, that's well, not really... This is, This is what I found really fucked as well, is that they are basically saying straight white males who are smart, they cover up their crimes, they're like methodical, they, you know, it's basically creating this like ideal, you know, this that gross like people who idolize serial killers, like that's the kind of stereotype it's sort of grasping at. Do you know what I mean? Like there's this, it's just yuck, like, (laughs) and inaccurate as well. Yeah, I'm thinking about your Ted... Bundy cartoon where all these documentaries love to portray Ted Bundy as this genius and Mm. you're like no actually this dude had the same fucking monobrow like multiple women were like hey this dude is a fucking creep like yeah it it's a total myth like sure there might have been some who were really conniving and convincing but like oh 
when I was down at your house a few weeks ago, we were watching a true crime documentary and they were like, wow, this guy, like everyone said he was so nice. And then didn't it happen where there was this one woman who was like, hey, this creepy guy is coming over my house. He wants to buy it. Just letting you know this dude is a creep. Like, yeah. like she could tell immediately. Yeah. And it's like, how many of these guys are actually charming and convincing and how much of it is actually no one heeded the warning signs or, you know, I think maybe we even mentioned it in person. Like how many times are we socialized to just sort of like be like, oh, I don't want to be rude. So I'm going to let this man into my house. Like, yeah. So even just the way that they're categorizing these types of killers is so just, I just think is inaccurate. Um, not at all nuanced. Totally. And like, I mean, even serial killing in general, like people like to think that there was this sort of, I don't even know what you would call it, but like for lack of a better word, like a renaissance of serial killers, like four serial killers in the seventies, specifically in California, you know, like the time that you had the Hillside Stranglers, Richard Ramirez, like a bunch of them sort of operating simultaneously in similar areas. And it's like the reason for that wasn't that they were these fucking geniuses that evaded capture. They were erratic. They were unstable. They were not particularly intelligent. It was just that the police were so fucking incompetent <laughs> that they couldn't catch them. Like they didn't listen to people. They destroyed evidence. They were corrupt. They were not doing their fucking jobs. Mm -hmm. Like... That is why they got away with it. And they wouldn't have been serial killers had there been competent police yep. because they would have got caught after the first or second time. Yeah. So like the reason that it went on for so long in all of these cases isn't that they're these like, you know, amazing like criminal masterminds. It's just that, you know, it's, it's a very low bar to have to jump over when the LAPD are that fucked. So, <laughs> you know, the people that they interviewed to sort of collate this data about you know, what makes a serial killer? What experiences did they have? What were they subjected to that would make them this way? It's self-reporting. You know what I mean? Like they're going on what these fuckers are saying happened. Yeah. To them. And who fucking knows? Like, of course, these are people that want to see themselves as victims, that want to be victims, and yet they victimize everyone around them. And of course they're going to say like, yeah, I was horrifically abused. Mm -hmm. They're looking for any fucking excuse to, to justify what they've done. So, you know, you can't always believe what they're saying as well as you can't just take it as fact and as like, well, yeah, they must have done these things like, or they must have had these experiences. Yeah. And of course, like this led to that. No, no, they actually probably haven't experienced half of what they've said. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, and especially when like so many people do experience really horrific abuse and never turn out yeah. to be violent offenders. So... It's really no, in no way an indicator of fucking anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there would be so many other things that you could that you could use as a basis, right? Like like pathologically lying, I would think, would be a, a pretty strong indicator. Like s signs of having like an antisocial personality disorder or of psychopathic personality disorders. Or I understand cruelty to animals, like, and I think we were probably a little broad with it last time in terms of what that actually means. Just because it's like, it is like cruelty. It's not just like accidentally killing something or curiosity or it's like, no, you're, you're torturing animals. Like that's fucked. <laughs>
yeah, actually inflicting harm, knowing full well that you're inflicting and I, and I think that's that's thing. one of the few points of that triangle where I'd be like, yeah, okay, that is actually like that is like just a stepping stone into hurting a person. Let's yeah, to that. <laughs> like let's, let's address up. that maybe, but also it's just damaging. Like there is some control issues there. <laughs> like yeah, and and it's just damaging to like paint anyone with a really broad brush and it's damaging to try and pigeonhole children into saying like you're going to be a violent offender and I understand like you know needing to sort of curb behavior so that it doesn't become something more sinister later but just I think they're just looking at the wrong factors (laughs) like other than animal cruelty I'd say that is that is something that yeah like is is fucked and let's not do that but the other things are like well I mean I guess yeah fires aren't great but none of it is like concrete i'll touch on the fire thing i'll circle back to that a bit later but what else did you find okay so the other things like i did find things that were like critical of it as well of course of course so there was one article not the sum of its parts a critical review of the mcdonald triad um i i used that one too (laughs) okay cool so i'll just quote like the sort of main part of the like crux of the argument It says, there is evidence that any one of the triad behaviors could predict future violent offending, but it is very rare to find all three behaviors together as predictors. Thus, the empirical research on the McDonald triad does not fully substantiate its premise. Rather, it would appear that the triad or its individual constituents is better used as an indicator of a dysfunctional home environment or poor coping skills in children. Which, like, yeah, that's what we've been saying. Yeah, I'll... So, before when you said, you know, obviously fire is an issue, in that in that particular 2020 paper, the sum of its parts paper, something that I found interesting and I think is a valid point was that they kind of like rightly pointed out that research on the McDonald triad has been only conducted in like Western contexts and that it's worth considering how adults respond to bedwetting like over, over a variety of cultural contexts. Like that might not necessarily be as much of a concern in other circumstances as it is in like a lot of Western contexts, but also how some cultures are known to positively reinforce the use of fire because it's a powerful tool where other cultures don't. So it's like, you know, if a kid was like found to have been harnessing this tool of fire, maybe not necessarily in a destructive manner, like in a non-Western context that might actually be seen as something that's positive like who are we to sort of be like well they are definitely going to be a serial killer when fire isn't necessarily like it doesn't mean the same thing in that child's sort of circumstance yeah like everything is very eurocentric (laughs) yeah 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 exactly also i realized i made a mistake in something i quoted before where they were comparing the tests i conflated like two articles like i join them together the the bullshit article Mm -hmm. with all the the yeah it was separate to the other one which i'm going to talk about later where they did the okay chi square chi square square whatever the fuck they're called test they did have quantifiable numbers on that Ooh, do you want to talk about that one so they were trying to look for the potential relationships between elements of the mcdonald triad and parental abuse so it was for 280 serial killers who they had like specific inclusion criteria, which if anyone wants to look it up, we'll have all those in the show notes as well. Yeah. So yeah, 280 serial killers who met the inclusion criteria to increase the integrity of the data. A hierarchical system was used to rank the various source materials. For example, data obtained from the state of Kansas best Dennis L. Rader, AKA 
BTK. Court documents are given higher credence than information collected from M.H. Stone's Book of Anatomy of Evil. In addition, three separate independent sources containing the same data were required to validate each piece of information, blah, blah, blah. Basically, they tried to determine a series of like questions pertaining to each element. So it says, cruelty to animals. Did the subject abuse animals? Uranesis. Did the subject have a habit of bedwetting after the age of five? Fire setting. Did the subject commit arson or have an obsession with fire? Psychological abuse. Was the subject psychologically abused during childhood? Sexual abuse. Was the subject sexually abused during childhood? Physical abuse. Was the subject physically abused during childhood? So then they're trying to like match up these elements and sort of like draw, you know, where the connections meet. But this is the other thing, self-fucking-reporting. Like these people don't get caught until they're adults, right? Like sometimes their parents aren't even alive to be able to say, well, no, that didn't happen or to defend themselves against whatever accusations are thrown at them. So it's also inaccurate because you're only relying on what's been said. Like it's just fucking hearsay at this point, unless there is documented, right. like court documented, like this actually happened, psychological abuse, or there's like substantiated evidence from witnesses or from people who grew up with them and were like, yeah, they definitely were abused. It's so hard to fucking know. Like this is all just people saying, I did this, I didn't do this. But didn't it say that there were some court documents there? So there, I guess there is a chance that some of that data may have more integrity than others but there's still that room for error yeah like they're giving it more credence but it's still i didn't sit there and read like you know the entire article and i don't understand math enough to even be able to answer this question but i don't get how you would weigh what sort of credence you give the different yeah yeah so yeah i have no fucking clue (laughs) yeah right so that that was an article where it, it was basically saying there's two triangles like one is of abuse and one is the mcdonald triad and you sort of link them together and rah 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 I still don't buy into that. Like, I Mm. still think there's so many issues within each individual triangle with how they're reported, with how the evidence is believed. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, believe victims, but not when the victims are victimizing others and have every reason to paint themselves as a victim. I think there's a lot of issues with that. Yeah, like, in the context of writing these articles, be skeptical. Like, that's totally... (laughs) There's room for that, you know? So you're flat out just like, no, fuck the triangle. Yeah, There was also a book that is called Serial Killers and the Phenomenon of Serial Murder, a student textbook. And they said, might personality be the key to understanding murder and serial murder? Perhaps the start of this line of reasoning within the medico-psychological tradition dates back to the so-called McDonald triad of behaviors that were seen to be predictive of violence because of the perpetrator's psychological maladjustment. This triad was made up of animal cruelty, fire starting, and bedwetting. McDonald's paper relied on his clinical observation of 48 aggressive and sadistic patients who had threatened to kill someone compared with 52 non-psychotic patients who had also threatened to kill someone. The ages of his sample ranged from 11 to 83. Given that his sample size was so small and unrepresentative, McDonald himself did not believe that his study had any predictive value. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's like... part of what I'm going to talk about is the <laughs> in the source material itself, he says, you should have come to any conclusions about this. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. On that note, I'll let you go off on what you found because I feel like it's going to lead into that anyway and most yeah. of what I, the rest of that I have. Like, I'll still send the links through of the other stuff that I found if anyone wants to read them. But, like, yeah, it's all the same kind of shit. It's either, like, this is completely inaccurate, has no predictive value, and it's, like, a critical intelligence sort of article, or it's just more bullshit about, like, you know, serial killer astrology, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more or less what I found, too. So... I started off by reading the source material, which was 
A Threat to Kill by John McDonald, published in 1963. And yeah, sort of as you just said, it was a whole series of clinical observations, a hundred patients in total that he categorized as either being psychotic or non-psychotic. It should be noted that he was only looking at people who had threatened to kill. Not serial killers, not even killers. In fact, only one person in this group of a hundred One patient had been previously convicted of criminal homicide and that person had accidentally killed a kid in a car accident. Like, wow. so no killers, no killers. And of all of these people, 54 people were court ordered to be in the Colorado Psychiatric Hospital. 46 people who were in these observations were there voluntarily. So you're already starting with a whole bunch of people who were like, hey, I have a problem. I'm going to seek help for this problem. Or who want to be seen as having a problem. Yeah. And so in the psychotic group, apparently, I believe it was all but 10 had schizophrenia or organic brain disease. So all of these people, like a whole bunch of these people were really, really ill. And of the non-psychotic group, the primary diagnosis they had was character disorder, whatever the fuck that means. Two had, quote unquote, mental retardation, and two had neurotic behavior disorder. People often suffered from alcoholism, and over a quarter of the participants, the instance of them threatening to kill involved drugs or alcohol. So, you know, over a quarter of them weren't sober at the time. And he even says, like, here's my study. He said, there are no control groups. I'm not comparing against anything. I'm just making observations. So McDonald was saying that expressions of hostility were prominent across both psychotic and non-psychotic groups. And some even showed sadistic behavior throughout their lives. And then they, the ones who expressed sadistic behavior, but he didn't give a number, boasted of their sadistic exploits and took pleasure in describing their hunting triumphs and their skill in martial arts. And I'm like, wait, you think Bunch that of nerds. Them- Yeah. So, but, oh, I'm really fucking cool for karate. Oh, look at this little sadist. Like, skills. Like, yeah, babe, no, oh, you're just fuck. like a weirdo, like a weirdo nerd with a fucking con <laughs> or something, maybe. But like, like I wouldn't call that sadistic oh, behavior. Fuck. Yeah, I'd call it antisocial and not even in a traditional sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, prescription atomic wedgie. <laughs> <laughs> the instructions for the medication are like waistband over the head. Like, <laughs> 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 must chafe. <laughs> so. The next part of my notes, I was reading where some of the sadistic behavior was explained involving cruelty to animals. And all I wrote was, okay, the next example is very bad. So some of these people, mm, they aren't right. So <laughs> I don't remember what that was about. And I clearly memory hold it. But like, you know, he's making observations. Clearly some of these people are fucked up and that's worth investigating. And I don't sort of begrudge John McDonald, like, there are definitely flaws, but, you know, he even said this should not be used as, like, conclusive evidence or, like, an empirical foundation for anything. But I guess isn't that also, like, a lot of, especially with psychology and something that's so elastic and ever-changing and dynamic, it's, like, a lot of research and stuff is more like, hey, this is kind of an interesting thing, let's look at this 
oh, that, that didn't really work out. That's okay. Let's go look at something else. And it seems like it was just one of those things where it's like, hey, these are some interesting connections. I don't really know it means anything, but like, let's just like investigate where we can to try and understand this a bit better. Exactly. And then, oh, well, that didn't really work out. And instead they've just grabbed it. Like, no, this is fact. Like, no, you're, you're exactly right. And that kind of leads me on to the next thing that I found, which was a person's thesis for their master's. And it's by Corey Ryan. It was published in 2009. It's called The McDonald Triad, Predictor of Violence or Urban Myth. And they wrote their thesis that explored the history and evolution of this like alleged phenomena of the McDonald Triad. And Ryan argues that the use of the features used in the McDonald Triad in psychoanalysis predates McDonald. So, like, you know, people had described bedwetting and arson and cruelty to animals before. But for whatever reason, people clung onto this triad, which, by the way, wasn't even a triad. So I don't know if you came across this, but actually five observations were made. So it was the three behaviors that we have been discussing that are in the triad, but it was also parental brutality and maternal seduction. Yet for whatever reason, people just grasped the behavioral aspects put them into a triad and have like just sort of Wait, what was the last one maternal seduction yeah so being like seduced by their mother i guess Ugh. yeah which is fucked up so like, like an oedipal complex kind of thing yeah yeah and i mean i guess like that sort of like psychoanalysis which mcdonald was very much a part of stems from freud mm-hmm. and like that sort of school of thought where there's a whole bunch of like how parenting impacts kids and obviously adults but yeah so to find out that the mcdonald triad wasn't even really a triad like it it was five things i was just like what the fuck but as ryan puts it possibly the reason that it was clung on to was that it offered a simple explanation for crime or predicting crime Mm. and it was also like things that that person did not things they were subjected to exactly like i think that it's like blaming that like you did this this and this therefore you will do this like yeah 100%. And it's like sort of blaming the individual rather than looking at, okay, well, if they experience these things, let's address what that might mean. So like, despite the source material, the 1963 paper only being for people who had threatened to kill, it's just been sort of applied to everyone from sexual sadists to repeat fire setters to serial killers. And there's certainly precedent for using different theoretical models across crime types but what's troubling is that the source material doesn't stand on empirical ground so it's not like anyone has even tried to test the basis of the mcdonald triad they've just applied the mcdonald triad to other contexts without sort of interrogating that model itself like they've just sort of taken it for granted and because of the simple explanation that it offers like okay you spy these three things then we know that this person is is dangerous and then we can put them into a hole or we can treat them, whatever you want to do. That's very simple to convey to other people, which is possibly why it's spread into the mainstream. Ryan sort of made a point where it's like, even though possibly a lot of our listeners even haven't heard of the McDonald triad itself, I can almost guarantee that everyone has heard media reportings where it was like, the suspect was known to have a history of bedwetting or the suspect was known to have a history of animal cruelty or arson. 
And even though the McDonald triad itself isn't invoked, it's still passing along this knowledge and is relying on this quote-unquote knowledge that these things mean that this person was obviously danger. And Ryan is like, hey, we're signaling that, well, we should have known that this person was dangerous because they did these things. But that hasn't been validated. Like, they still must sort of indoctrinate police into believing that as well, or detectives, because so many of the true crimes that I watch, they literally quote, like, they're like, the McDonald triad, blah, blah, blah. Like, a detective talking about a killer. Like, yeah, he had these elements, which if you know, if you're familiar with the McDonald triad, and it's like, why are you quoting this as fact and Mm -hmm. doctrine when it's not even a valid argument? Like... It's like saying, well, he was a Virgo, so, like... <laughs> no, you're totally fucking right. Like, I tapped my desk so many times because I got, like, revved up about this. <laughs> but Ryan also explores the danger of this model being accepted as truth. Like, it's not bad for the public to know things. That's not a bad thing at all. What is important is when we talk about these things that they have an empirical basis. But also, Ryan argued, like... A lot of law enforcement officers do have training, whether it's undergraduate criminology, where they're saying that the McDonald triad is legit, or whether they're being trained in a law enforcement setting where they're being told the McDonald triad is legit. Because if you go to the Wikipedia page for the McDonald triad, a whole bunch of work that's been done on it, like they went on to be FBI consultants and shit like that. And that's why they're learning that this is a legit model and it's fucking not. And Ryan makes the point that it's one thing to have like an urban myth, but this urban myth is impacting the way that suspects and people who interact with the criminal justice system, you know, if they have a history of bedwetting, how they're perceived by people who are making decisions for them, like there's material consequences. You know, there are risk assessments that are being done that are informed by shit that does not have any empirical basis. Yeah, like no bearing on what what they're trying to predict. Which, like, to be fair as well, I know that, you know, the FBI, and and when I was talking about, like, Mindhunter and stuff last last time, like, I know that they had a huge hand in, like, profiling serial killers. And, you know, from what, at least my... my rudimentary understanding of it it has actually been really beneficial to profile killers like in terms of catching killers but profiling is from a much more like psychologically informed specific space like they've done this specific action in this crime which could be a signal of xyz not like they did this as a child and this really broad thing that millions of people do therefore they are going to be a violent offender. It's like, no, they have violently offended in this very specific way. Now let's look at what may lead a person to do that. Like it's responsive rather than Yes, predictive, exactly. And so like I'm not bashing profiling, but yeah, that is a very different I am. I have big opinions on profiling, but that could be for another episode. Yeah, like I think it can have, you know, it can, and it's also fucked up crimes. I'm sure probably the same amount that it's helped, but I know there have been cases where it's like literally saved lives because they were able to figure out like someone did this thing and that would be this type of person and it's helped. But yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, so there's like when these things are used in sort of, pre-crime contexts there's like something called net widening which is like so you're saying anyone who's experienced bedwetting and you know has set multiple fires we're gonna look at all these people and we're gonna keep an eye on them like that's a that's a huge amount of people and 
the people who are probably experiencing those things may very well be people who are experiencing abuse at home and as you kind of mentioned before like dysfunctional home environments it kind of feeds into how we label people as well so if you know you have a child who's a bedwetter and you know has been setting fires then how do we treat them and how does that treatment of them feed into their ideas of themselves and especially if they're being fed this like pop culture narrative that they're dangerous exactly yeah and then it's like well guess i'm dangerous so yeah, then, then the last thing I found was that 2020 paper that you and I both used and they, yeah, suggested that those behavioral things are better indicators of dysfunctional home environments and poor coping skills, which is what we sort of speculated on the first half. You know, as with all of these papers, they called on, like, for there to be more research done to establish whether or not the McDonald triad is valid or not. But I personally have no qualms with saying that the McDonald triad is just fucking bullshit. Like, the onus is on the McDonald triad to prove itself rather than us trying to disprove it. Like, there's nothing to prove. I think that if more people knew that it was based on bullshit, then maybe we could start with a different model or adopt a different model that might have better sort of foundations to it. I think the issue with it as well is that because it's like what we were saying before, where it's three different behaviors that they do rather than, you know, being a behavior plus something they were subjected to plus a physiological reason or like often I know, like at least, you know, with a lot of serial killers that if you trace back their childhood, there's usually some form of head trauma. So it's like, you know, obviously not everyone who has had head trauma is going to become a serial killer. But when you combine it with abuse and with other behaviors, like there's clearly like some kind of pattern, but that doesn't mean also that it's predictive, more like you know, if you reflect back on it, like, oh yeah, that's a weird pattern. But it's like maybe more research into like the factors that actually, you know, outside of their control, like it's like a nature plus nurture plus, you know, X, like if you could find a way to do that instead of just this behavior plus this behavior plus this behavior. Well, this is the thing. There are things that are known to be mediating factors. So like I've read a bit into like head trauma in early childhood and how it connects to later offending. And there is some relationship, but the relationship also is connected to poverty and domestic violence. And then it also was like, hey, but guess what? If we provide better care and education and support for these kids like it basically outweighed the relationship that head trauma had to offending Mm -hmm. i guess this is like maybe my anti-capitalist streak coming through but there's so much data to back up my claims that so much of what we think of as like predictors of crime are more than mediated by just improving the material conditions and education outcomes and health outcomes for kids Uh, But that would require, you know, that that challenges the way that most major political parties approach crime. Like we don't, Mm -hmm. it's communism. (laughs) When you think of the serial killers that had had trauma where, you know, their family said, well, after that they changed, like their personality completely changed. They became, it's like, yeah, but maybe if you weren't in poverty and could have taken them to a doctor when it first happened and they got adequate treatment, like that in itself wouldn't have been as big of a problem or like they had fever and they were in a coma or something happened and it's like yeah but if you had adequate medical access maybe that wouldn't have escalated to that point yeah 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 and especially america doesn't have the best conditions for access to medical care 
and support networks. So it's kind of like, okay, well, there's all these other environmental factors that we should look at before we start calling every bed pisser the next fucking Ted Bundy. (laughs) For real. But yeah, so I guess my final note is like, every criminological theory has its shortcomings and is inherently simplistic. So the fact that we have tried to take this simple model or simple set of predictors and, you know, transfer it to other contexts, like that, that that's a very normal thing. But when frameworks are used and models are used, it's used to further investigate while also acknowledging the shortcomings of those frameworks. And so many models, so many things that talk about McDonald triad, it's like, well, we know, we know that the McDonald triad is a thing. There's just a whole lack of curiosity around it all. Even my f- particularly like favorite theoretical frameworks or like models when it comes to trying to explain different forms of crime, like they have substantial amounts of empirical evidence, but they do not and cannot possibly explain everything. And most importantly, no theoretical model or framework should be used to negatively impact like the material well-being of individuals, particularly when they come into contact with the justice system. So the fact that the McDonald triad is informing whether or not it's actual clinical assessments or forensic assessments or whether, you know, law enforcement officers are being told, look out for these things, like I think that that is deeply harmful if that's them being used to sort of maybe police those people more rather than looking into how to take care of them. <sighs> and there's also, there's always going to be people that are like, you know, serial killers that have none of those fucking qualities that were never abused, that came from loving homes. Mm-hmm. Like some people are just fucked like Joel Rifkin, you know? So he was an American serial killer who did really fuck shit in the 80s, I want to say, who was operating. I don't really remember. But yeah, like he just, he was adopted into a really loving home where his parents like gave him everything. Like, you know, he had an adopted sister, I believe as well. Totally normal upbringing. Nothing, nothing ever happened. I don't believe he ticked any of the McDonald tried. He may have done cruelty to animals at some point, but like murdered a bunch of women. I just, there's always going to be people where it's like, you can't just blame their behavior or their environment, especially in their childhood on what they do as an adult. How often do we hear, but he was such a nice guy, but he was such a nice guy. Like, you oh know, God, yeah. self-reporting and limited reporting, right? Like, and just also inappropriate use of a model that was never supposed to be applied to anything else in the fucking first place. Which yes. to me is just like so wild. Right. I wonder how furious he would be that his like his name is being used on something that is so harmful, like when he yeah. didn't intend for that at all. Like thank God it's a common name, I guess. Like you'd be pretty pissed. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it yeah, t- he changed his name to Donaldson rather than McDonald uh, <laughs> because he's like, nah, nah <laughs> not gonna be associated with it. <laughs> yeah, I, actually I, I didn't read about that because I'm pretty sure he lived until like two thousand and seven. So I'm he knew that like his work was being yeah, yeah. built upon, but yeah, I don't know Manhandled, what he ever yeah. said about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. He was subjected to police brutality. Yeah. Yes. He threw a very weird way. Yes. Yeah, so it sounds like both of our hills, they're not shifting. Yeah. 
It just it just feels like it was triangles built on anecdotal evidence. Yes, hundred percent. And also like very different understandings of like mental illness to begin with. Yeah, and also like anything that to do with mental health in the sixties, can we just fucking disregard? You know what I mean? Like this was an era when it was like women have hysteria. Yeah. Like you could be committed to an asylum for just like having a bad day like you're like i burnt dinner well off to the asylum with you and your husband yeah, will send yeah. you because you have no say because you're a woman like this was the era we're talking about so like yeah loki my one of my relatives got committed to an asylum by her husband i believe in the 70s and was subjected to electroshock treatment nothing was wrong with her he was just a dick so like this was the era that that Holy this shit is happening shit. yeah uh, and even what we know today about some patterns of abuse, there are cases where people will use the threat of getting people committed or like getting welfare checks can sometimes be used as a mechanism to sort of harass your victims. So it's like, well, how many of those people in there, you know, have more complex backgrounds than what that paper could have possibly provided? Yeah, I guess this is just like another installment of we know nothing about people. <laughs> And our prescriptions for people are so built on bullshit that it's, we just need to burn it down and start again. Yeah, like the system's been broken for so long that you're just like fucking building houses on quicksand. Like it's fucking stupid. So Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And yeah, it's yikes. It is yikes. Big yikes. <laughs> the criminal justice system is fucked up. When you get away from ideology and try to just look at the literature behind it, it's still so fucking flawed. Just burn it all down and let's start again. Oh, let's just not even start again. Let's just burn it. <laughs> let's not start again. <laughs> well, that's it. It's like what what we want to do is try to fucking prevent harm. And when harm occurs, try to take care of the people who were harmed first and foremost and prevent it from happening mm -hmm. again. And it's like, well... If those are the goals of a criminal justice system, we're literally achieving none of it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, this is a bit doomer, but like, I'm okay. I've just been saving it all up for this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're going to go with a lighter topic next time. I don't know that we've picked it out yet, but... We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Maybe to do with like a cryptid or like, I don't know pissing in the shower or something but like yeah we'll keep away <laughs> we'll keep away from the grim shit for a little bit yeah yeah but thank you very much for listening until next time you can find us on twitter at a hill to die on pod you can like us on facebook at a hill to die on you can visit our website a hill to die on pod.com you can shoot us some money on patreon at patreon.com slash a hill to die on pod our email address is hill to die on pod at gmail.com and our Instagram is a hill to die on pod. And I've also started co-hosting a new podcast called Australian Gothic. My friend Lucas and I talk about Australiana, cutesy parts of Australian culture, but also the darkness that lurks beneath. I'm mostly there for Lucas to tell me things and for me to get angry at them. But yeah, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. Until next time, see you later. Bye. Ill-advised and misinformed, our half-baked opinions will be performed. Are you ready? Is the mic on? Welcome to the Hill to Dial.